Right, I've pressed record and my numbers are going up. I have Wi-Fi. And this will be a cautionary tale for later on in the show, listeners, because, you know, enjoy me while you've got me. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm going to give you a heads up that while you can hopefully hear me clear and crisp so far, an engineer is about to arrive to rip up the road and replace the internet cables. So there's a high chance my internet is going to completely disappear. Sophie said to me that, you know, oh, you can just hotspot. So, oh, I'm just going to try and hotspot. But I'm (laughs) I'm not confident. So, um, you know, if I disappear... You know, just rest assured that Sophie might be leading in the sounds, but I am on the chat box in the corner (laughs) typing like a beast. Well, you know, as they say, the show must go on and all of that. So, Kate, while we've got you, because, you know, you're hanging on by a tethered 3G wireless thread... coping I just feel like your home renovation is throwing one dollop of stress at you after the other not having wi-fi I mean in this day and age and this is not just today you've been on and off the wi-fi for a while it's sort of terrifying isn't it how dependent we have become on it and how how much we just assume it's going to be there and it's not so much that it what happens with ours is it drops in and out What I think the stressful problem is, is it's the lack of control because you don't know. You don't know when it's going to go off. And when it's gone off, you don't know when it's going to come back again. (laughs) And so it's it's that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't like to say that I'm a control freak, but possibly we might have to just say that very quietly. There are elements of me which likes things to be in control. And uh, I find that really stressful. Yeah. And when you're doing up a house... You have to relinquish a lot of control to BT engineers, to builders, (laughs) to suppliers. They suddenly get all the control, don't they? What do you do when you're feeling stressed? Well, I mostly have a cry. What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) I mostly have a rant. I mean, I got to say, I got, I got nothing positive to offer here. I'm just gonna lie down and cry. You know, I, I could tell you that I'm gonna light a scented candle and breathe in the, the beautiful aromas. But you know, if I light a scent, if I have a match in my hand, I'm more likely to burn the house down than you know, breathe in the aroma of scented candles. So, you know, I, I, I need help with this. Well, I've got a feeling like today's guest is going to sort you out. His name is Juan San Diego. And you might remember, actually, we talked to him, didn't we, a couple of episodes ago, because he also uses AI in his interior design practice. He runs a consultancy called the Happy Home Clinic. And he's all about, Kate, holistic well-being. Words that I am probably not using enough in my life. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's entirely possible. I mean, you know, listeners, you can take this two ways. Either Juan will have such a calming effect on me that I will just drop out of this podcast and lie on the floor being zen, or I will have to learn his lessons, drop out of the podcast because I have no Wi-Fi, and just sit in the corner typing and getting crosser and crosser. I mean, uh, you know, let's hope I'm lying on the floor, breathing zenly. Oh, she's frozen. She's fr- she's flickering. She's fading before my eyes already. Oh, listeners, she's 
gone. I think the Wi-Fi has finally dropped. This is the perfect place, I feel, to segue in our guest for this episode. Let me introduce you to the lovely Juan. Welcome to The Great Indoors. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure. Now, let's first get into this job title because this is the first thing I'm really intrigued about obviously we interview lots of interior designers on the podcast Kate's written books on it I'm a designer myself but you call yourself a coach at your happy home clinic how does that work it's really interesting it is indeed a little bit complicated because um, on the one hand you have interior design which by default is more of a consulting role where you transfer your knowledge to the client and you tell them what to do And on the other hand, you have coaching, which is very different. And coaching is all about um, letting the person discover what their path is. So it took me a while to try to blend the two together, the interior design part and also the well-being side into one consistent, um, well-packaged product. And eventually, that's why I call myself interior consultant and well-being coach. A bit of a long word. No, it's really interesting. The slight difference is where an interior designer would come in and perhaps procure everything for you, put the colour scheme. You're more about empowering people to get there themselves. Why is that particularly important in the realm of happiness and well-being? Indeed, it's just something uh, quite important because everybody's path is different. And when we talk about happiness as a whole, everybody has a different view as to what happiness means. And you cannot have a standard formula that you can apply to everybody. So coaching does allow you to discover where the client is right now in the home situation and the current reality, if you wish, but also where they want to be, that kind of aspiration, which is realistic, but also achievable. And step by step with coaching, you can just help them go forward until they get to that point. So that's the biggest uh, bonus of coaching because you open up so many avenues and you let the client choose the one that aligns with their with their person. That's so interesting. So where would a consultation typically start? What are the first sort of questions you asked? I would just start with an analysis of the current situation, almost like a brief in interior design when you just ask so many questions about, okay, how many people? What's your occupation? What about room arrangement? What about entertainment? How many people do come in to eat? Is it just four? Is it six? Takeaway, cooking? So you ask so many questions just to get a good picture of where they are. And something similar happens as well with these home analysis. Uh, It does include a little bit about health as well, in terms of the health of the home. Particular habits in terms of opening windows, you know, changing bedding and things like that. And also a bit of satisfaction survey. Are you satisfied with your home? Are you happy with your home at the moment? We just base on scales, all those things, just to see we can improve further. Because quality improvement indeed is a matter of just getting from where you are to a better version of yourself. Oh, I'm quite interested to dig into the sort of things that are making people unhappy in their homes. What are the rubs? What are the sticking points do you see with your clients? Well, actually, one of my most uh, kind of popular coaching types is just home renovation coaching, just because that is a massive source for stress, anxiety, and just just headaches all over. Are you talking about having the builders in? (laughs) <laughs> yes, having the builders in, or just planning, going through it and finishing and being just exhausted at the end. So that is, I mean, I imagine that's hitting people on lots of levels. There's the financial worries, keeping hold of that budget because it never, it very rarely goes to plan. Then there's the upheaval of having all those people in your home, not being able to maybe use the bathroom or the kitchen. And then I suppose worrying whether it's all going to come together on time. You know, are you going to be in for Christmas? 
it's all those things. So it's probably, do you think it's up there as one of the most stressful things you can do in life? Absolutely, as well as moving house. Uh, because it can just seem like, oh yeah, just one moving day and that's it. But the whole process often involves selling your current property or just um, leaving your current rental property. And it's just a lot going on. It can be a massive chain. It can be a seismic change in terms of maybe moving with somebody else, maybe just an older relative coming in. And it's just a massive source for stress and anxiety. And I guess that coaching in that, in that way, it can help you focus on what you can control because there's so many things that you're going to control in those situations. I think this is really interesting because you've opened up this whole other concern, as it were. So when I'm helping the people that I'm working with, it's all about trying to help them understand how to put colour together, pattern, understand their own style so that they end up with a home that's right for them. But you're also talking about psychologically just dealing with your own mindset around the stress of everything that's going on as this other area that needs looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Because the interior designer cannot do everything. They can focus on the design process and the final result, which is just a beautiful interior from top to bottom. But um, sometimes the client may not have somebody to talk to just to be able just to share their concerns. Maybe their family are part of that concern. It's just a wider layer. And if you think about you have a home renovation itself, which is pretty stressful. And then you can have several layers. Maybe that person is also working at the same time and going through a rough patch. And also the same, maybe they can just have some um, issues with their partner, perhaps, or with other family members. So coaching does allow you just to just remove all these negative thoughts from your head and be able just to move forward one step at a time. So you don't feel the overwhelm of all this weight on your shoulders of what's going on. And you can just feel, okay, this is what I can do. That's what I cannot do. I'm going to focus on what I can do to move forward. So I can see that day after day, there's a bit of progress being made, even though it may be a little bit slow. And obviously the designer is just there to help you with anything that may be design related. Um, you know, issues with the sockets, you know, the window doesn't fit, etc., etc. So what I do offer is something that you could say is complimentary because a couple of my clients actually had a designer working full on with the whole project. And also they had me simply to help with the renovation aspect in terms of the stress and being able to move forward. Oh, so can you give any of our listeners who might be knee deep? I'm looking at you, Kate Watson Smythe. <laughs> she's on. She's done two renovations in the last year and is having a lot of stress, coupled with the fact that her projects in Italy. Give us just a, just a few tips on how to manage your head state when you've got the builders shouting at you, the husbands shouting at you, the suppliers haven't delivered what they said they were going to deliver on time. What do we do? Do we just breathe? Is that what we're doing? What are we doing? Well, actually, with that breathing, that's a really good tip that you have already <laughs> mentioned. And that it comes back to just focusing on yourself, because when such a big thing like a renovation is happening, all your effort, all your energy is just being poured into this renovation project and you often forget about yourself. So you've got to step back and say, okay, I've got to focus on myself first, then just to be able just to help everybody else around me. It's a bit like the analogy in the plane um, when there's a um, pressure in cabin change kind of thing. Then the little mask comes down and they always say, just put your own mask first and then you can help others. So you have to really put your own mask first, focus on your well-being at that point, And then you have the best base and foundation just to be able to cope and to be able to manage everything else that's thrown at you. So that's going to be different things for different people. That might be just going for a walk, going for a facial, <laughs> going for a coffee with a friend, almost just like taking yourself out 
of the stressful situation so you feel clear you've got some clarity to go back into battle go back again to battle with the builders the solution to improve the well-being for every person is different it's very personal and unique and i cannot just say oh yeah wake up at seven then do some yoga then go from from some forest bathing and then have a i don't know like a rye vita for breakfast I cannot tell you that because you most likely will not do it. But we've got to find what is the right solution for you. What's going to work within your typical routine? Okay, so that's helping our renovators out there managing with their with their stress. What about people who aren't looking for a big renovation project? They're maybe just looking for a redecoration or even a restyle. You know, we hear this a lot from, you know, our listeners of like, I'm just sitting here on my couch in my living room, whatever. And it's just not, oh, it's just not lifting me up. It's not giving me the right vibes. Can you identify, you know, if people can't really work out what they what the problems are in the home, what are they likely to be? What things should we be looking at? Is there like a little checklist of things that you know, if you get them right, are going to make you feel better about your space? I think that one of the easiest things that you can do to improve the health of your home is just do like a little quick analysis of the potential hazards in the home. Because we have... Uh, there's a big, big misconception that, for example, the air outside in the street is bad and in the home it's all pure and it's all clear. And it's very often the opposite. The air indoors is actually quite toxic compared to the air outside, based on volume, really. Yes, you may have cars on the road, but it's just a, such, a, such a huge expanse of volume anyway. So I always insist about opening the windows for 10 minutes every single day. And that just gets just the clean air in and the toxins all the way out. And also identifying um, all the other elements that may have a negative impact. I know that you have talked before with um, Oliver Heath, also with uh, Mike Viking, um, which are experts in biophilia and also happiness in general. And it's just really applying those things. Perhaps the one tip that may not be quick that I may recommend is just to do a very simple exercise of um, ideal home visualization. Oh, I love a visualization. Oh, I'm so glad <laughs> Kate Watson Smythe isn't on Wi-Fi right now because she she thinks it's all she thinks it's all woo-woo. Me and my vision boards, but I'm with you, Anne. Come on, how do you? Tell our listeners and try and get Kate on board with vision boarding. (laughs) This is both woo-woo and scientific at the same time. Just because um, what you're trying to establish here is not what the ideal home looks like, but what it feels like. And I started doing this originally with um, career coaching and professional coaching. I think, what does your ideal job feel like? And you may not know what that profession is, but you know, for example, if you work from home or not. How is the commute like? Um, are they flexible hours, etc. So if you translate that into the home environment, you can get a picture of what it feels like. And I try to start from the beginning of the day. You know, you just woke up, you just open the eyes, and what do you feel? You're in your bedroom, how does it feel like? And then you continue, you just go down the hallway, you just go into your bathroom. What does the bathroom feel like? What kind of ideas is it sparking? And then you continue room by room. You do this in some sort of... Um, meditation that's one of the first sessions i tend to do with a different kind of coaching more focus on specifically happy homes not so much renovation and this visualization is key to that process because we don't get an idea of exactly what it looks like but once we know what it feels like it's much easier just to pull that cord and just get closer to that feeling mm. 
I love that. But then even just outside of that, people can start, if people focus more on how they want to feel in a room rather than what's the exact paint colour that I need to choose because I've booked the decorator next week and I haven't picked one yet and now I'm really stressed. Strip it right back to the basics of how you want to feel in a space. And that will, are you saying that that will then lead them to make better choices? I think so. I think so. But it's important just to understand the concept of happiness. Again, as I mentioned earlier, everybody has a different definition for happiness and it can vary across different cultures. But happiness is almost like making coffee. You know, you need two essential ingredients. You need water and you need coffee beans. What happens is that people focus on just the one ingredient. People focus on the joy, which is, you know, very common. It's obviously like a buzzword as well, and it's very important. You focus on the joyful part of um, happiness and apply it to the home. This goes back to the uh, Marie Kondo of giving joy in terms of the particular items in your home. Does this give joy, etc., etc. But there's another ingredient, and that ingredient is purpose. And the purpose is not so much about function, you know, a chair is for sitting, but it's about, does this object allow me to have an experience that has purpose? And an example would be, for example, a very simple kitchen planter, where you can just put some um, soil there and some herb seeds, and you can grow your own herbs over time. That little planter has a very deep purpose. Joy is more superficial in the good way. Of course, we do need joy. It's essential. It's the water of the coffee. But we also need purpose. And that's just the coffee grains as well. And when you mix it together, then you get a deeper sense of happiness that lasts a bit longer as opposed to trying to chase the next joyful thing. So joy plus purpose. I'm having an epiphany moment here, Juan. (laughs) That's good, that's good. things together. But what does that look like when we talk about room design? Are you saying that it's the purpose of the room coupled with the joyful way you decorate it? Is that how we're putting those two things together? I think what we've got to do as well is just put our own interior designer hat and think about how we're going to use the room and how that room is going to allow us to have those moments of purpose, those experiences of purpose. Um, because this opens another little debate, where the debate is about happiness based on experiences and not so much on material goods. And then you think about, okay, you know, happiness, yes, experiences, going out, cinema, traveling perhaps. But what about our homes? Yes, it's not all about just filling the walls with lovely things and gorgeous wallpaper and curtains, but of course that is important. Are you saying it's going one step further and imagining how you're going to use the space and the experiences you'll have within it? Absolutely. We go beyond that. It's just a duality, really, of homes being a collection of items, but perhaps also is a channel for multiple experiences. You know, you've mentioned in the podcast before how much time we spend indoors in our homes. So pretty much that means that most of our daily experiences happen indoors and many of them in our homes. So instead of just thinking about, okay, we got a bedroom, I need a wardrobe, I need a bed, and just tick boxing the typical stuff that we need, what you need to think about is how can I just create more purpose in this particular room? If you go to, for example, the bathroom, 
do I really want to make my, my bathroom my sanctuary? Or actually, perhaps I want it more functional simply just to get up, get ready and go. And I prefer to have a different room as my sanctuary where I can just read my books. It's a bit quieter than the rest of the house. That's really interesting because that, actually you did a blog post around creating calm spaces. And I'm going to quote you here because I think this is really the right time to, to have a challenge. You said, um, if you want colours that don't stimulate the senses too much bold wallpapers and loud colors can work in a guest bedroom but they'll be more challenging if you have to live with them every day i recommend experimenting with samples and avoid making rushed decisions i think this is really interesting around the bedroom for example so typically word on the street is bedrooms need to be calming we could get into the importance of sleep because I know that's something really you're really passionate about. They need to be calming to allow you to have good rest and recuperation. Therefore, let's pull back on the bold colour and the wallpaper and all the clutter and create something more restful. And there is a whole interior design style and colour palette that you can follow that's conducive to that feeling. However, if like me, that's just not actually what I want for my bedroom. Maybe I want other spaces in my home that do that. I want my bedroom to make me feel fabulous, to give me a real boost, to make me feel quite glamorous when I'm getting ready in the morning. And so I've gone completely the other way and I don't have a problem sleeping, so that helps too. I mean, you've already touched on this, but there is just not one approach that fits everybody. And you've actually got to really dig quite hard to find out what is the purpose of this room for you and how do you want to get the most out of it absolutely and what i think you're achieving is that kind of like a boutique hotel kind of feeling that kind of sense of um, glamour luxury as well comfort bit of escapism Mm -hmm. man as well do you know what i mean like i love my home it's great but my bedroom i mean i do share it with my husband to be fair but it's kind of uh, is a bit more like my domain it's where i have all my clothes and my makeup and my dressing table and so i very much design that for me because my husband actually just isn't so bothered about that I mean it's literally somewhere to crash it comes back to your typical day for example somebody who is like having a typical day where in the workplace is constantly stimulated lots of things to do their head is just fried at the end of the day they may prefer a space that is a bit more purred down a bit quieter a bit less loud. I know, I know Kate does. Kate, I mean, obviously, I should imagine she is listening to this podcast. Um, and I can speak for her here. She likes a really calming palette for her bedroom and she has very muted colour tones. So, yeah, the majority of people are probably with Kate, aren't they? Absolutely. But also you may find, you know what, I do want that sense of fun as well. And I think that you fit in that case. And it just highlights how personal things have to be from design choices from well-being choices as well they are of course guidelines but if you think about it i um, for example in that blog post i don't talk about any particular color i just basically talk about experiment with different colors to see if you can find the one that you like and um, you can be bold if you want to but i do find that a sense of order is always helpful oh sense of order oh let's get into that what do, tell me about a sense of order because i have a very cluttered aesthetic i'm a real maximalist i have a lot of stuff i think that you can have a lot of stuff going on you can have a lot of uh, vignettes in different corners fitting with the maximalist approach but everything may have its place. 
You know, if you move something, somebody moves a little ornament, then you will possibly put it back where it belongs, most likely. But it's not so much on trying to make everything minimalist because well-being does not abide to any particular style. And that the same applies to biophilic design. It's not really just, you know, urban jungle. You can just have any style and then be conductive of well-being. And that's just the, the, the freeing thing about it. You can just like cottage, country cottage, or you can just be ultra minimalist and both can have uh, interiors that nurture their well-being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not really about your design aesthetic that creates a happy or calming home. It's about finding the right style for you. And then I'm hearing be tidy. Absolutely. Keep your home tidy. And one of my mine and Kate's favourite topics, I'm going to segue in here, we love a bit of storage. Is this important for a happy home? I think it goes back to the concept of control. And when things are ordered, when things are tidy, we have a control of our spaces. And that is a positive feeling. That's something that we like. And that's why you get that sort of sense of, ah, you know, I feel good about it. And you mentioned about storage. It is important, of course, but it's just this balance between the need for storage, efficient storage, and also are we having too much stuff? Because because both are true. Mm. We need storage for our stuff, but we have too much stuff. And I think that... Michelle Argendahin was talking about it in your podcast um, a few episodes ago about her book and everything. And she was talking about things and stuff. We have so many, so much, too much stuff going on, really. Yeah, okay. So you can't just go out, get more wardrobes, more cupboards, more bookcases. You're actually going to have to let things go. I have a bit of a clothes hoarding thing, although I've just recently done a massive purge of my wardrobe. I've probably cut it down by over half I still feel a bit sad about it but I'm enjoying the extra space (laughs) so how can you help people manage the fact that they actually probably have too much stuff but they are resistant to get rid of it how do you how do you help people on that journey I do I do understand because my father also loves book like Kate and when I told my father about Marie Kondo and what she says about books oh what does she what does she say about books? well just get rid of them once you read it (gasps) (laughs) yeah she says just thank you for giving me joy just being very interesting off you go See, oh, oh gosh, it's a shame you haven't got Kate because she would have words to say about this. I imagine there'll be tears flowing down the Watson Smythe's face at the moment at the thought of leaving her beloved books. Yeah, so hold on to the things that are non-negotiable. For Kate, it's her books. I suppose as well for me, the way I offer... So with my wardrobe, massive chuck out that I've very recently done, which I found really, really hard. I tried to give myself joy of the thought that other people were going to enjoy wearing these clothes because I wasn't. I wasn't one. They were just hanging in a wardrobe. Some of them for years, never seeing the light of day. And I sort of just thought someone else is going to really enjoy going to a party in this or that this, this skirt's going to make someone else feel great like it did for me five years ago when I bought it or someone else you know might enjoy reading Kate's books if she'd ever let go of them I would just say that um, you mentioned about your clothes and Kate's books and there's a bit of a difference between them being an accumulation of things or I see them more as collections you know that's your personal collection of clothes and that's Kate's personal collection of books so that has a whole different layer of meaning and purpose as well 
I think what we don't we cannot do is perhaps have like too many collections of everything. You know, when you start having okay, how many how many extra vases do I need? And then just being piled up in the corner. That's just me. <laughs> okay. So we've done our visualization, we've worked out our personal style, we've decluttered the house, we've got it all tidy, we've opened the windows, we've let the fresh air in. Anything else that you want to touch on for home happiness? I would just say that um, you have to, again, go back to yourself and just focus on your inner happiness. And that will just eventually make everything else easier. You earlier touched on the breathing exercises. I'm also quite keen as well of, on mindfulness. And mindfulness does also involve a little bit of breathing. And it does allow you just to remove the clouds from your brain, just increase the clarity for anything. Maybe just trying to decide perhaps a color scheme for your living room. Don't make any rush decisions. Just take a step back and maybe a day or two, a bit of mindfulness, and that will just clear the air and you will have a better idea of what you really want. We are very, very often used to taking quick decisions. And of course, to be honest, with paint, there's never really a mistake because everything can be corrected. But it's just much easier to do it with purpose. That's why I think that focusing on your own personal well-being can help towards that. It's giving your brain a little chance to think, isn't it, through the design process. And it is a creative process as well, I really maintain. There's a lot of practical things to think about, but also allowing your mind to move into a creative frequency is also really important for for design especially again if it's something that's going to really resonate with you you know you could just rush a design out copy something off instagram and it'll look great and you can take a picture of it and upload it and everyone will give you loads of likes but for home happiness we're we're talking about creating spaces that touch us emotionally Mm -hmm. and it's just good that you talk about social media and uploading photos because that is a topic that comes up with Every single of my clients, to be honest. does it? Oh, tell us more about that. Well, the the main issue with social media, obviously we do know that whatever we see in social media is just a curated version of that reality, of that person, of that person that originally posted the image. However, the way we compare ourselves to the world is involuntary. We don't know that we're doing it, yet we are doing it. And the mechanism by which we're comparing ourselves to others is completely irrational. It doesn't make any sense. So you may be comparing your um, mid-terrace house to somebody's mansion in Florida. And it doesn't make sense. Yet your brain is making that connection. And it's just trying to nurture the gratitude, perhaps, to say, you know, this is what you have. This is amazing. This is really good. Just to cut that tie against those nasty comparisons that we don't need. It takes you off course, doesn't it? You know, you might have done your vision board, you're really clear on what you want, and then you, you're scrolling through Instagram and you see someone else's home and think, oh, no, that's better. I should be doing it more that way or I should be influenced by that. And what you're saying is this is even subliminal. We might not even be doing it, but it's quite dangerous because it takes us off our path. Kate's messaging me here on the sideboard. So she's got a question for you. How do we stop doing that, Juan? (laughs) (laughs) I think that the best way is just to take a critical approach to social media, to everything that we see. And the best way to do that is imagine you're scrolling down your typical Instagram feed and you find a photo that catches your attention. And then you look at it and you feel like, you know, you know, I'm interested. What's going on here? Then what you've got to do, we, we often just resort to love it or hate it. 
And those are very polarizing different options. And nothing is binary in terms of preference, to be honest. So we have to learn to say, okay, this is the image. I'm kind of curious about it, but what do I like about it? What is it that I like about it? Maybe I like the color scheme. Maybe I like the actual furniture style. Perhaps it's the rug, or perhaps it's none of that. Perhaps it's just the actual atmosphere that the photo captures. Maybe the cup of tea and the, and the mug and everything. Maybe it's just the, the essence, the mood that it conveys. And then you can also apply the other side. What is it, what is about it that I would change? Or maybe what I don't like so much. And having this critical thinking can help you then move forward. So when you see something, you don't go, love it, hate it. And you go more like, actually, you know, well, that's a really good color. On the materials, the textures you use, those are really good. So you can just capture the essence of what you like about it. And maybe if you want to, um, channel that into your home, as opposed to trying to copy and replicate something that once you do it in your own home, once you recreate that, it may not feel the same because you're just copying visually what it looks like. You're not copying the essence of the purpose. I think this is so useful and so super helpful because I think myself and Kate are both heavy users of Instagram, you know, posting almost daily, certainly scrolling daily. I myself have created a habit where I don't scroll in the mornings and I don't scroll in the evenings because it just doesn't put me into the right frame of mind. Not necessarily for FOMO, but actually for this fractured brain you're talking about. This just kind of like quick fire, like it, don't like it, like it, don't like, 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 comment. It doesn't get me in the right pace to start my day feeling like that. But the other thing you're touching on is, is how interior designers think. You know, when I've got a project on and I don't just like manically scroll when I've got a project on, I stop and I, I collect a few well-chosen images and then I really go in and analyse them. Like you say, you've got to get deeper a lot quicker, haven't you, into the different elements within an image, like you said, the colour, the pattern, the shapes, but also the feeling of that space. Why do you like this room? Oh, well, it looks like the sort of room where I want to have my friends over and have a few drinks. Ah, okay, and why do you think it's creating that feeling? Oh, well, it's because it's got big windows onto the garden or it's got a great big coffee table where everyone's got drinks and nibbles. I don't know, whatever. You sort of, you, you've got to actually start creating the actions within the photograph, if you like, to, to understand how you're going to use it. It's sort of something that I do all the time, but you're right. Maybe not everybody knows to do that. And there's a reason why you do it all the time. And that's because interior designers, by default, are automatically well-being experts, even though they may not be branded as such. You may not just call yourself a well-being expert. We're you in the, are we're in already the business of happiness, aren't we, as interior designers? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Just again, going back to the brief, think about the amount of questions you deal with the brief and then how much refining it takes. And at the end, the, the final result is completely tailored to the client and it's going to help the client in many different ways. So many designers think, oh, maybe I need to get into well-being. You don't have to. You are already a well-being expert. I mean, what I do is just the coaching side, which is separate, which is different. But um, that's really important to know for every single designer that may be listening to this. All you've got to do, perhaps, is just dig a bit deeper in the brief side of things and maybe op- um, ask more open questions as opposed to yes or no answers in the brief ask more open questions like what you were saying well, give us some exact yeah give us some examples of open questions because this is 
you're absolutely right. We have a lot of interior designers listening to this podcast, but I always think it's really good for homeowners to get into the headspace. You know, you might be asking your partner these questions when you're coming up with a scheme together. So go on, what are some good questions to get under the skin? I would just say that good questions, the ones that don't include the word why, because when you ask why to a client or to yourself, you become defensive. You just kind of develop an, uh, a response because you feel you're being accused of something. So always think about how, what, when, etc. So think about, for example, the colors. What kind of colors did you grow up with as a child in your childhood home, perhaps? What was your uh, bedroom color like? Tell me about the furniture that you had at the time. So it's always open questions as opposed to yes and no. Is it, just to get into the semantics of this, would you say something like, how is it that you love blue rather than why do you like blue? What is it about blue that you love? What is it about blue that makes you feel good? (gasps) And you'll get a better answer than why do you like blue? Uh Uh-huh, because there will be a pause and then there will be thinking cocks going on. You can hear them. And then eventually the client will tell you or yourself, you just... You will just come out with the solution. Mm, that is such a pearl. But Juan, honestly, I could speak to you all day. This is so brilliant. I'm going to attempt to bring in my co-host. She's on a bit of a lag because she's hotspotting to her mobile. Kate, you there? Juan, I'm hoping you can hear me. I've been typing furiously in the comments. But in your blog, on your website, you talk about the importance of letting go of perfection. I'm very interested in that, as it seems to me that certainly looking at social media, everybody is striving for perfection. So can you explain why we need to stop doing that? Absolutely. With perfectionism is that um, we have this idea that this is the way it should be. Perfect interiors, everything perfect. But perfectionism is actually a negative thing. I basically suffer from that for a long time. And it stopped me from finishing tasks. It stopped me from finishing my own projects. I had so many failed blogs that never really thrived because of perfectionism. Applied to the home, this can go back to the idea of control. We like perfectionism because it gives us control. But also at the same time, perfectionism is just killing all that creativity. It's killing all that you know, oh, actually, that didn't work out. But look what I found, something else which is much better. Or that color didn't work. And I found a much easier one that makes the space pop. So with perfectionism, it shouldn't be the objective at all. We should just let go completely. And the best way to let go of perfectionism is just to embrace the creative side. So just focus on the creativity of the doing as opposed to much on the result. So yes, we talked about visualization, we talked about the feeling, but you have to enjoy that step process until you get there. And that's where the creativity comes into place. You have to enjoy every moment, just try, you know, just have fun with it. And that is where the happiness comes from. Mm, That's such a lovely way to end what has been such an insightful and really positive conversation because I'm feeling like what you're saying is there are things we can do but ultimately it's about getting in the mood getting in the feeling visualizing being creative being in our flow having a little tidy up but then not getting hung up on perfection. That's what I'm taking away. Would you say that that's a fair? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you just basically captured the essence really well. <laughs> oh, 
Caroline, you've been absolutely brilliant. I can't thank you enough for giving up your time. And our listeners can go and follow you on Instagram where they can follow your, I'm hoping, not so perfect images. <laughs> What's your Instagram handle? It's at Happy Home Clinic. Brilliant. And there's a website by the same name. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Um, do give one a follow. Really, really inspirational what you're doing within the realms of design. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a lovely day. So before we wrap up this episode, could I just remind you once more about our great Indoors Insiders Club, where you can enjoy a plethora of benefits from ad-free listening, bonus episodes, webinars, newsletters, and even this month, our insiders are looking out for our secret address book guide to Milan and Venice off the back of our recent trip. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com to sign up and join in with the fun. And we'll be back next week, folks, with our monthly star surgery. We always love to hear from you. So keep those questions and those voice notes coming. Uh, The address to send them to is help at thegreatindoorspodcast.com. All that remains is to thank you, our lovely listeners, our producer, Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective, and another big thank you for Juan and all his wonderful insights. And I will see you in the great indoors. (laughs) Oh, look, she's back. (laughs) Brilliant timing as ever. Brilliant timing, KWS. (laughs) 